Hey fellow superhero cinephiles, did you know that almost 30% of adults say they haven't read a book in the past year? The primary reason why is a lack of time. Well, Audible's here to help with the gift of found time. Thanks to Audible, you can listen to audiobooks like Marvel Comics, The Untold Story, or Slugfest, inside the epic 50-year battle between Marvel and DC. Read up on the history of superheroes in comics and movies with Grant Morrison's Super Gods. You can also check out Vanguard, my original superhero novel series, or try The Vril Agenda or The Adventures of Fortune McCall, both of which were written by our dearly departed host emeritus, Derek Ferguson. Whatever you're looking for, Audible has thousands of titles that you can consume while commuting, exercising, cooking, or just relaxing at home. And not only audiobooks, an Audible membership also gives you access to tons of content like podcasts, theatrical performances, and exclusive Audible originals that you won't find anywhere else. To give you a taste of what you can get, Audible has partnered with this show to provide listeners with a free 30-day trial. All you have to do is go to audibletrial.com slash supercinemapod, and with your free trial, you get one free audiobook and two free Audible originals. In fact, you get to keep those titles even if you cancel before the trial is over. So what are you waiting for? Head on over to audibletrial.com slash supercinemapod and start your free trial today. I don't want to let you down, honest, but, but it just doesn't hurt so bad anymore. You can understand that, can't you? Look, I can give money to the city. They can hire more cops, let someone else take the risk, but it's different now. Please, I need it to be different now. But I didn't see this coming. I didn't count on being happy. Please, tell me that it's okay. Maybe they already have. Maybe they sent me. Welcome to Superhero Cinephiles Podcast. I'm your host, Barry Constantine, and welcoming back um, probably the second most frequent guest on the show. Uh, Kellen Conley's got you beaten by one episode, so so you gotta, you'll have to work on that. Uh, but that's Adam Lance Garcia. Adam, how you doing? I'm doing so great. I'm happy to talk to you, man. I miss you. I, I miss you too, face. man. I miss you too. <laughs> uh, I don't know if Elena feels the same. She's just kind of like staring at the screen, so... <laughs> uh, <laughs> But uh, but it's good to see you again, and uh, you got some uh, some good news happening lately, and that's the the Green Llama audio drama. So let's uh, yeah. let's talk a little bit about that. So it's the last episode's coming out of the season, right? The last episode is coming out on February uh, February. Yeah. The last episode's coming out on February 11th uh, this Friday. It okay, is so by the time out. people listen to this, it'll yeah. already be out then. So definitely go check that out then. Yeah, this comes out on February 11th. Uh, it is an hour-long season finale uh, of our eight-episode first season. Uh, it is 
produced in Dolby Atmos. Uh, so it's like a very immersive experience. Listen to it on your headphones, but it's a continuation. The whole season is a continuation of the novels that I've been writing for well over a decade. Uh, and it's really this great, wonderful passion project uh, that I have been wearing my heart on my sleeve. It talks a little bit directly to our current state and you can tell it's fiction because people stand up and do the right things at the right time. <laughs> um, but it's, uh, yeah, it's just this really grand experiment um, of revisiting a character that I've known for a very, very long time um, that I've been writing for a very long time um, in a format that I absolutely love. The audio format is such a liberating uh way of telling stories because mm -hmm. you're really just bound by the imagination of the audience um there's this one sequence in the seventh episode that uh i still think about it this to, to this day it's a very visual sequence but because of the skill of my sound designer josh wilson um it comes alive you know and the talent of my actors and my uh, my co-producer steel philippec uh just i'm so lucky to have these amazing people around me because it's something that i really wanted to do years and years ago and it's done and that's nuts and that's it's it's um probably the closest i'll ever do to a marvel film mm -hmm. uh but it's it's uh it's it's yeah i could go on about it I, i'm so excited about well, it well let, let's go on a little bit um but uh let, let's yeah. back up a little bit how did this come about uh so i've been running the green llama uh with under license for about a decade, uh, uh, primarily through Moonstone Books. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, the Green Llama, for those who don't know, is a Buddhist superhero from the 1940s. My father collected him. Uh, he, uh, at least the original comics from uh, Spark Publications. Uh, the Green Llama was in pulps, he was in comics, and he had a radio show. And something that I had decided very early on in my career with writing The Green Llama was that I wanted to do match or exceed the uh kendall foster cross and the creator's mm -hmm. uh you know resume um he wrote 14 stories so my goal is to maybe not write 14 stories but at least beat the word count of how the right. stories he wrote and he did a radio show and i figured i wanted to do a radio show um and i wanted to do it in such a way that spoke to both um fans of the series people who are who knew who the boat uh, the popes uh, who read the popes both both back in the day and the current ones, but also to something that sort of spoke to modern listeners, to a modern mm -hmm. audience, um, and sort of hugging that balance between the two. Um, so I have been producing audio dramas with my uh, co-producer Steel Philippec. Mm -hmm. uh, we were thinking mm -hmm. about doing another season of audio dramas for our company called Radio Room. And I was like, well, what about the Green Llama? Like, I would love to do this. I've always wanted to, to do an audio drama. And we came up with a story, uh, sort of a legacy generational story. And uh, over the course of the pandemic, basically, right before the pandemic, we wrote it. When during the course of the pandemic, we produced it all jet, basically almost completely remote. We uh, cast some of our regulars like uh, Jean-Marco Ceresi as Jethro Dumont, the Green Llama, Sarah Smith, uh, Sarah Smithton as the Riveter, a new superhero that we introduced in the series, uh, Dana Abert uh, as Evangel Stuart Brown, uh, Justin, Torres as, Justin Torres as John Carraway, a lot of returning characters like mm -hmm. uh, Ken Clayton comes back, played by Mark Bradley Miller. Uh, a fun little thing is uh, 
a character named Ben Mendoza, who was named after a friend of mine, Ben Mendoza, was played by my friend Ben Mendoza. <laughs> um, so it was uh, over the course of many, many months, we uh, put together some really great stories with a really great cast. We have an amazing uh, composer named Brian Metolius, uh, who I cannot speak highly enough of. Um, we gave him a, a very, very specific brief when we created the, the, the theme song and this sort of like encapsulate our approach to the whole series is, you know, we didn't want it to just be, we didn't want to recreate a 1940s series, uh, mm -hmm. a 1940s radio drama. Like every time you try to recreate something, the line is so thin of homage and parody. Yeah. Um, especially with an audio drama because you could have everyone like, and that's what we're going to do this time, mm -hmm. Green Llama. And yet that might be true for what happened back then, but we're not, back in the 40s it's not going to read the same way we we used two touchstones um and that was indiana jones and uh batman the animated series mm -hmm. and with indiana jones it was like lucas and spielberg uh wanted to create a movie that felt like the movie serials they grew up with mm -hmm. and they boiled that down and created something that spoke to a modern audience but also like evoked the feeling of these uh, uh, genres, of these old uh, movie serials. And Batman the Animated Series, it's like, it's a very distillation that takes itself very seriously, um, a very serious version of Batman while still having fun and still and still like sort of being sort of amorphous and speaking to this classic feel and this more modern feel and sort of that really uh, interesting balance. So we said that to Brian, we're like when something that evokes the feel of the original uh, Green Llama, uh, radio drama, but uh, speaks, you know, some makes it feel action and 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 uh, kinetic. And the man did the theme in one go, and it's mm -hmm. the theme that we use now. Um, it was just perfect. And he he and Josh Wilson, my sound designer, I think I give all the credit to them for making the series work. Mm -hmm. I. I it's a B-level scripts. Like my script, <laughs> my, my, my scripts are good. They're fine. But the combination of my actors, um, my director, uh, Steele, Brian, it, making the music and giving that emotion and Josh just feeling out the world, it made uh, this something successful. I, I really can't take all the credit for this one because it's, mm -hmm. you know, it's such a wonderful collaboration. I'll, I'll murder all all these people's enemies for them. <laughs> wonderful humans. Uh, well, hopefully they don't have a whole lot then. We don't want you to get too oh, down with work. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, what I wanted to ask you is, you you mentioned that your dad was you, know, you had been a fan yeah. of this. Is that so? Were yeah. you kind of like did you kind of like grow up with the Green Llama type of thing? Because I know I was I, like that with my dad and James Bond and Indiana Jones. Like he was a fan of them, so I kind of grew up watching them. Um, I was a, no, I would never describe myself as a fan of the Green Llama growing up. I was aware of it, uh, aware of him. So my dad uh, loved collecting sort of esoteric heroes. Mm -hmm. He liked the weird superheroes, um, the sort of like where a lot of comic collectors went after like the big names, the big uh, like number ones. Um, and while he did have those, the things that he really enjoyed were the weird superheroes like mm -hmm. Atoman Man and Golden Lad and the Green Llama. And... So I remember him very, very vividly showing me a comic, uh, the Green Llama comic, when I was watching Star Wars, The Phantom Menace, because he's like, oh, look, Padme, like in, in The Green Llama. Mm -hmm. 
So when I was uh, approached by a publisher uh, years ago and there was a list of characters that they wanted to play with, uh, the Green Line was on him. Uh, on that list and I said well I could write this from a real place mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of characters that I never really heard of I didn't really know but I knew who the Green Llama was mm-hmm. and if I'm writing this for my dad something that he could he could have read and enjoyed um, then I'm writing it from a more sincere and right. honest place yeah um, what I didn't expect uh, when I wrote the first story horror and clay was that I would fall in love with the character mm-hmm. um, I wouldn't I didn't expect to really be engaged with his story and wanting to keep on telling the next adventure, the next adventure, the next adventure. Um, you know, I've written, I think about 10 stories with him now I'm on my 10th story. That's not including the, the eight episodes of the audio drama. Um, I've done a, a comic quick standalone and I really, um, I mean, in the, to the even bigger degree, like the woman I've been with for the last decade, we met because of a Green Llama performance at the Rubin Museum. Um, So we, uh, so the llama is a huge part of my life, but uh, it was because my dad collected the comics Mm -hmm. and I just wanted to write something that could be for him. And this, and this season is dedicated to his memory. And that's, uh, Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't know he passed away. I'm sorry about that. Yeah. He passed away, uh, a year ago, uh, in about 10 days, I think about a year ago on in February. So, so he's, he unfortunately did not hear this season. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think a lot of, a lot of the messages and a lot of the, um, like the way he viewed the world is infused into this series. Mm-hmm. Um, this idea that like doing good and like um, being kind and helping people like there's, there's a lot of, uh, of my dad in these stories. Um, mm-hmm. So while he'll, why, while he'll never have listened to it, um, he's in it in every yeah. single way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that's, that's, that's sweet. Um, uh, so you said that a publisher had approached you about it though. So yeah. h- how did, how did that end up happening? Uh, so I was at uh, the, uh, what was it, 2008, uh, I think it was 2007, 2008, I can't remember what anymore, which one anymore, uh, I was uh, near Comic-Con, mm-hmm. and I had had a self-published comic called Nick Agent Security Guard, which was a, uh, adapt- a comic book adaptation of a short film I directed in college. Basically, what if Dirty Harry was a security guard at the Gap? And, <laughs> and it was very much this, like, here's my comic sort of like I proof that I can proof of concept of me, mm. like I can write something. Yeah. Um, and the publisher came by, I am a shameless self promoter. And I was like, here's my comic. And he liked it well enough, reached out and we, uh, he gave me a list of characters you were looking at. And I was like, Oh, I like in green llama. I'll do it. Um, okay. You know, I think that's the biggest thing that a lot of, uh, young writers, um, always kind of lose sight of it's like if you really want to be a writer like you have to put yourself out there and Mm -hmm. that was you know while writing isn't what pays the bills yet um it's something i've been doing professionally for over a decade because i put myself out there right yeah yeah uh and you said that you had fallen in love with the character so because you know i've seen those lists from publishers of the the pulp characters and just like going through them and like going through their their stories and everything after a while your eyes kind of glaze over because you know they were just kind of pumping these things out back in the day yeah um what was it when you started writing the green llama that really made him appeal to you um i mean there's this it's a lot of different things um 
one thing that stands out is his supporting cast is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I was kind of I, how I read them in the original pulps. I like Gene Farrell is just this redheaded, um, you know, shoots first Montana girl. Um, I just I fell in love with her. I liked writing her. Mm-hmm. Um, Ken Clayton, uh, who is her best friend and who I read as as gay in the story and, and made him canonically gay in my stories. He was a really fun character to write. But um, what with the Lama himself, I liked his view on the world. Mm-hmm. I le- a lot of pulp characters um, of his era, like the spider, um, you know, or even um, the shadow or, you know, were very violent mm-hmm. and, you know, saw the world in very black and whites. Right. And I think the Buddhist aspect made him sort of come from a much more kinder place. He's there to um, something that we talk about a lot in the, the audio drama and in the novels is he wants to be a bodhisattva, which is this idea of leading by example, mm-hmm. you know, that this idea that like you're delaying your, uh, and enli- your own enlightenment. So that way others can find enlightenment, uh, based on your example. Mm-hmm. And I like that. I like this idea that here's this person who, uh, saw children murdered and he's like, I need to, I need to stop this. I need to help people Mm -hmm. i need to find a way to lead by example and some of that wasn't necessarily in the the pulps the original pulps was something that definitely came out from my own writing with him Mm -hmm. my own research of of buddhism and working with the licensor uh, of the estate uh, of the estate uh kendra cross and burroughs Mm -hmm. who um is the creator's daughter uh helping me sort of learn about the buddhism um i just i don't know there's this idea that and there's a scene in this in the in the audio drama that I think kind of exemplifies it. And this is the season finale. Spoilers if you haven't listened to it. Um, but basically, the city rises up to uh, stand up against fascism, against mm. basically what is essentially an alt right movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the villain is like, "What? What's happening? Who are these people?" And it's like the the llama isn't a person; he's an ideal, and this I think that we're striving towards being. Um, and uh, I like that. I like mm-hmm. this idea. It's, it's, it's very much a Superman idea. Um, it's very much this, and, and Perry, you and I have talked a lot about Superman uh, offline and like mm-hmm. what we, uh, what appeals to that, what, what we find appealing in that character yeah. um, is this idea of like, just being good for good's sake. Right. I like, and it's, it's not like, it's not vengeance as much as we love Batman. And mm-hmm. I know we're going to talk about Batman. Like it's not about vengeance. It's not about like um, this black and white idea of justice, like the spider. It is this idea that like, I just want to help people. And mm-hmm. again, I think, uh, you know, is all of that necessarily in the original pulps? Debatable. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was my reading of him in the pulps and mm-hmm. it, whether that was between the lines. Um, I mean, I found it. I just, again, it's someone who's driven by their faith mm-hmm. and that's really, that's really interesting. That's a really interesting take as opposed to like, I'm going to be justice because there are bad people out there. Mm-hmm. Um, this was someone who was like, my faith dictates me to help others, mm-hmm. um, and fight crime. And that was really a new aspect, a new yeah. idea. 
the, the Buddhism aspect is uh, something I want to talk about too, because the, yeah, when it comes to using like Eastern religions, spirituality, anything mm-hmm. like that in these types of characters, there tends to be two tracks that most people take. One is just, we take, we know the bare minimum and we just kind of like skim the surface and then just go mm-hmm. with the, the woo woo type of it's, you know, Eastern magic type of thing, right. um, which I know you, you don't do, <laughs> but, um, but, and then the other approach is like, you know, like Grant Morrison really deep dive yeah. knows a lot about it and you're going to find out and you're going to see all these esoteric concepts and right. The guy knows them inside and out. Um, mm. And you said that the creators, you, the creator's daughter had helped you out a lot with that. So was yeah. he someone who was really into uh, Buddhism? Uh, uh, boy, uh, I, I think enough that like he did enough research. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a lot of what was always interesting talking to Kendra about some of the, one of the big debates Kendra and I would have uh, about certain words and how they're spelt, mm-hmm. for example. She's, like I would, I was always writing Omane Pod My Hum uh the same way uh ken crossan wrote them in the original so i'm like well that's what how he wrote it mm-hmm. and that's how i'm going to write it you know i'm going to respect what the creator did um but she said like that's not how you write it <laughs> that's mm-hmm. incorrect we're, we're, we should do it this way so we found like a, a a nice medium um so i you know to your to the two examples that you gave i'm sort of in between mm-hmm. um i definitely i do not have a uh encyclopedic knowledge of buddhism Mm -hmm. i would never claim to that uh but you know there's ideas and concepts that through my discussions with kendra with whatever little research i've done um that adds to that vermilitude of Mm -hmm. the eastern faith uh while also acknowledging like this is a a white character who Mm -hmm. was buddhist it's you know it's of the era um to that specific point like that was a conversation i had with someone online like well why didn't you uh recast him like mm-hmm. why why is he another why is he still a white man mm-hmm. um and part of it was because that was i was tasked um by my publisher like to set it in the era of the original comics of the original pulps and jethro dumont is the green llama right it also kind of works for the time because you have theos bernard who was the white llama who was mm-hmm. someone who went to uh, Tibet. He spent a significant amount of time in Tibet and brought Buddhism to America. He's one of the main, main inspirations I see. Uh, okay. for the Green Lama. Um, uh, he's a real man. There's a couple of books. I think one is called The White Lama. His book is called Oh Man. Um, I think it's like Clouds in the Sky. I, I have to look it up. I, I can't remember the exact name of it, but there was an he wrote about his experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it does fit for the era, but like if I were to like create the green llama today i'd probably have him actually be a tibetan person uh whether that be male or female really depends on the story because mm-hmm. i establish that the green llama doesn't need to be a man to be a hero that's in uh, spoilers for uh, crimson circle uh gene farrell becomes a green llama um so yeah the, the, i know it's so small um no it's okay she saw my phone um, so she likes she wants to hold it, yeah. Because you look at it, and then she looks at it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's also got um, her picture as the screensaver, so she loves looking at her picture. Aww. Who doesn't? She's so cute. <laughs> um, so you're quite like, yeah. It's it's this mix of like making sure that what Buddhism I include is true, 
for the faith uh-huh. that never comes off as woo woo like um orientalism like as it was back in the day mm-hmm. um you know it, it that it's you know I, that again that it's true buddhism that uh but never really dives deep into the minutia of it because mm-hmm. i think if i dive too deep into it i as a writer i i would want to do more research so it becomes true but also right. it's secondary to the, like it, it's the core of the story but like it's the core of the character, but it's not the core mm. of the story. Um, you know, these are still adventure yarns. Um, so it's, it's a weird balance. Mm. And it's, I'm something I'm always mindful of. Okay. And uh, one final thing about the audio drama, and then we're going yeah. to move into the, the movie discussion for today. But uh, sure. how's the response been? It's been really good. Um, you know, it, it's an indie. So, you know, we're getting maybe about like two three to 300 people listening per episode across two different platforms. Uh, we're on like Apple podcast and Spotify and mm-hmm. audible, but we have it. Uh, this is a standalone green llama, uh, series and the radio room sort of core, uh, uh, podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, the response has been overwhelmingly positive. Good. Um, and it's been really, really um, validating. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and we've, you and I have talked about this before, but with Pulp, it's very hard to break outside of a very niche audience. Right. Um, and, you know, the way, both in the way that we produce it, the way that we've written it, you know, we've written with new listeners in mind while mm-hmm. still speaking, like, keeping it true to what made the character uh you know beloved before we i took him over mm-hmm. um you know i've seen like one response that like i've been uh really respect something to the fact of like i've respected what's um the original source material while not being bound by it mm-hmm. um you know a lot of people who have just who are green llama fans are just like it's just great to have a green llama back and it's so nice to hear these really big adventures and people who've never listened to or read the green llama before mm-hmm. like they've all been impressed by the scale of it um and the production value of, of it uh you know I, I again i can't take you know even though i'm the producer of the series you know the thing about um and i've, I've already mentioned this before but the thing about collaborative media is like audio dramas like films like anything like you're only as good as the people you surround yourself right with. um you know like and the team i and the team i have is just phenomenal um yeah so the response has been has been great and it, you know it's been so good that like we could probably talk we can show mm-hmm. we, we can showcase it um but again the response is so good because of josh wilson because of brian Vitolius, because of steel philippec john marcos Soresi, sarah, sarah smithman uh you know mark bradley miller dana Abraham, Justin torres uh scott thomas uh maggie lovett um ben mendoza uh, mustafa bunani alex Polin, uh, jack bacone um just uh, patrick willems who appears in the last episode uh you know, oh, and of course, Brett Truck. I have to talk about Brett Truck, who's the main villain. Um, these people that I surrounded myself with, you know, created something that I don't know if it'll win, win awards and mm-hmm. it'd be cool if it did, but I'm so, so proud of this series, Perry. Like, I'm so, like, 
it, it's the, I'm proud of it, but the fact that people have seemed to really uh, fall like I've really enjoyed it as much as they would has been so just the coolest thing in the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, like with your own writing, when someone actually really loves your writing, you're like, oh wow, this is really exciting. This is really validating and, and awesome. Um, yeah, it's the response has been everything I hope to uh, for it. <laughs> Sorry, she was interrupting there in the middle there. No worries. Um, uh, but uh, one other thing I want to ask. So how many how many Green Llama books have you got out so far now? Um, so I always forget because there's so many. Uh, I have uh, two full-length novels, Green Llama Unbound and uh, Green Llama Crimson Circle. Um, and then I have three uh, novellas, mm-hmm. uh, Green Llama Horror and Play, Green Llama Scions, and Sherlock Holmes, the green and the green llama era the era parent then i have uh, a bunch of short stories that i've written in crossovers like uh with the black bat with uh, uh operator it was supposed to be operator five with someone else um and sort of like tangential crossovers uh that are are secret if you don't if you don't know to look for them like um foster fade there's a crossover in there um and uh a domino lady crossover that's not a it's the the sort of secondary characters all kind of crossover um so yeah so the short answer is i have got two novels uh unbound and crimson circle uh three three novellas uh Haran clay uh scions and a sherlock holmes crossover heir apparent and i'm working on the third full-length novel redemption which will sort of close out the trilogy of of novels and sort of close out the entire era um, of, of the uh, pulp uh, sort of print novels that I've been doing. So, um, and now say I'm someone who thinks, oh, wow, you know, I like audio dramas. Um, this sounds pretty cool. I want to listen to this. I don't yep. want to read, I don't want to read two full length novels and three novellas yeah. and all these. Yeah. Stuff. How, how much do of that? Yeah. So how, like, I don't want to read. What, what do you, what is this? <laughs> um, reading who are reading, reading, reading what my grandpa did. <laughs> so <laughs> say that I know, no, I know nobody here in our audience does is like that, but say there is, you know, would they need to read any of this stuff in order to enjoy no. the audio drama? Uh, no, the audio drama is written specifically with new listeners in mind. Uh, we have a whole new status quo. The Green Llama comes back from fighting in World War II, so he's been gone for a while. Um, but it is set up in a very specific way that if you've never read a Green Llama before, um, you don't have to worry about learning anything. Everything's set up in that first episode. But if you're an old school fan and you've either read my novels or you've just read the original Pulps, um, there's a lot of Easter eggs that will uh, reward you for having done that work. Um, they add flavor and nuance to the to his universe, uh, but they're not the sort of they're secondary um, little nuggets. Uh, they're literally little literal Easter eggs. So kind of like um, thinking about Mandalorian and they, yeah. how they got references to to stuff that happens in like the Clone War stuff and the animated series, but. If yeah. you haven't seen those things like me, you're not going to be lost. Exactly. Uh, a good example is, um, you know, in the very first episode, we introduce uh, Evangel Stuart Brown, mm-hmm. who is, excuse me, uh, Evangel Stuart Brown, who's a character from the original Popes. 
And to sort of set up the entire world, we used to have a character say like, oh, you're Evan Michael Stewart Brown. Mm-hmm. Um, weren't, like, weren't you involved with that big crimson hand business back in the day? Um, and that is just letting you know, this is who the character is. She was involved with the Green Llamas at mm-hmm. some point. There was a, a crimson hand thing. Um, it sort of sets up, there's a, a backstory. Um, but if you've never read those, it doesn't mean, it's just like, oh, she's had adventures mm-hmm. before. But if you know, then you know that that is the very first published Green Llama novel, period. Okay. Um, and then there's even deeper cuts where it, within the canon of the original pulps, uh, Kendall Foster Crossan's uh, pseudonym, Richard Foster, was a character in the books. And it's established in the original pulps that uh, Richard Foster was writing the pulps. Mm-hmm. And so the pulps were, were set in universe. Okay. Um, so that actually is a big aspect of the series where, again, you don't need to know this because we do the groundwork within the audio drama to set up that mm-hmm. like these pulps were something that existed, that the llama was using them to hide in plain sight. Uh, and they helped inspire this new character, the Riveter. But again, if you know this, if you've read the original stories, it's just a bit of a, that payoff. It doesn't right. matter that you haven't read them. Um, you know, there's always little things here and there that like, it's implied that the villain of this series is connected to one of my novels, but we never expressly say it because it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a big thing. Uh, to your point about The Mandalorian, it's like, if you know it's rewarding, but it, as long as it makes sense to the story, that's what's what really matters. Right. And that was always my focus with the audio dramas. Like, doesn't matter. Um, I don't need to give the entire backstory to these things because mm-hmm. just because the fans, the fans know that the fans know. Um, I just need to make sure that it's true and real for the story that we're telling. Right. Right. Okay. Cool. And uh, where can people go find it? Uh, they can find the Green Llama on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, really any podcaster uh, that you uh, you use. Just Green Llama with one L. Uh, by the time you're listening to this, all eight episodes will be out. Uh, most episodes run about 30, uh, 30 to 38 minutes with the finale being uh, an hour and three minutes and nine seconds long. Mm-hmm. Um, also, it has a post-credit sequence because <laughs> I had to. I had to. <laughs> it's, it is... Harry, when I say that, I felt like both like really excited and slightly dirty when I did it. And it was just like, this is, it's like, I'm doing everything I complain about with Marvel. And mm-hmm. I was like, but this sets up everything. It Not only does it set up everything <laughs> for the next season, but it like, it ties everything together. Like that's, and I, I, the biggest, my biggest proudest moment of this, of this season is that the first four episodes are, uh, soft serialization mm-hmm. and then they start to become very serialized in the last the back four but the last episode has everything tied together in a way that i didn't know if i could do and that le- but it all kind of it comes <laughs> together in that goddamn post-credit sequence that one scene like everything matters it's just like it's i just gotta I'm say so- as someone who who for years has seen like your little marvel critiques just been like ah there he goes again yeah, this is just like I love this moment right now. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was it was totally like I knew what I was doing, and I was like I had to. It's um, oh man, uh, and, and you feel free to cut this, but like basically, <laughs> oh no, no no, uh, this is staying yeah. in. This is like the yeah. point. <laughs> so basically, uh, 
in the season finale, um, you know, like there's like the basic thrust of the entire season that there's this unknown mastermind who started a gang war between two rival gangs mm-hmm. and it's causing um, the city to sort of, you know, go into chaos and there's an, a, a bombing and assassination. And then it's eventually revealed that one of their allies is actually this mastermind, um, this sort of alt-right mastermind mm-hmm. who says like, you know, uh, that people are, you know, uh, we're, we're doing a bulwark against communism and, you know, people are trying to go above their station. Um, and in the finale, there's all these characters that you've met throughout the entire season play a role in fighting against the fascists. Mm-hmm. And then we, uh, so we have this like uh, sort of a prologue scene that establishes where these, like this one character is, we like the two warring families, they're making peace. It ties in episode three. And then, you know, they see the events of the previous episode and brings them in. Mm-hmm. And then we have our, uh, our uh, Caraway, the commissioner of police, basically go to the, these criminals and like, look, you know, I need your help um to fight fascism and they all help uh so the the cops and the the uh the cops the 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 gangsters and people of new york all rise up to fight mm-hmm. fascism um it's very much it's very much inspired by that scene in the rocketeer i was gonna say like, that's exactly what yeah. i was thinking of yeah yeah it's, Paul it's, it's exactly saying that. like i may be i mean i make an honest living but it but i'm still an, an american Exactly. It's a hundred percent inspired by that. Uh, but like, it's this big, like sort of uh, uh, it is inspired by it. Eh, you're going to laugh. It's very much the end game moment when like all the characters. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I just, I'm loving this all... moment so much right now. <laughs> I know you're appreciating it. I know you did. Uh, I might've made a mistake coming up. <laughs> Uh, but it, it's inspired by Endgame and Rise of Skywalker, and uh, in, with in, in Re- with Rise of Skywalker, it's like, how do I actually make this work? Mm-hmm. Um, but like, uh, it's like, how do I like have all these people show up? But it's very much Endgame, where you have all these characters that you've not every single character, but a lot of the characters that you've met uh, throughout this season show up, and they're like, we're gonna stand up against the bad guys, mm-hmm. and then the post credit sequence, uh, like everything is better like uh and the the criminals like to a new world daughter and then the villain from the second episode who you haven't seen since the second episode shows up and it's like um basically it sets up the new status quo that Mm. like this thing that they did uh to save new york created a power vacuum and now Mm -hmm. the bad guys have this new uh, this new alliance that's gonna like cause more trouble for all the heroes um so it's like it's it's everything I hate about the the uh, green law uh, 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 the uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but like the thing that I think sets it apart, and we can debate this, and this is gonna be another <laughs> conversation for another time, is that it's a post credit sequence that actively takes all the elements of what's come before, mm-hmm. brings them together, and then steps up to the next stage. It doesn't feel like um, a good example it's like with the uh the one that comes to mind like with captain marvel it's like here's a scene from another movie and then mm-hmm. oh here captain marvel shows up um it is very much or like it's uh like here's a little in joke from the thing that you saw before um or let's go kill hawkeye uh for some reason um mm-hmm. this is very much like it, you saw all these things you saw all these mm-hmm. elements um 
how do I make it pay off? How do I yes and everything? And that last little nugget, it's, it's, I get chills thinking about it because it's a combination of like both. Uh, so Steele, who's my co-producer, who I mentioned uh, Ed Nazem, he also plays the villain. Mm-hmm. And he has this really great, it's one goddamn line. And it's like, it's chilling. And then the music that Brian did at that, like for that one moment, it's like, like, oh no, <laughs> things are about to, the shit's about to hit the fan. And it's like, it's, it, but again, it's like all that sort of, it all mm-hmm. comes there. Um, I think it's kind of obvious and I'm very excited about this series. I think it's really <laughs> cool. I'm, I'm really like, I, I, if you get a chance to listen to it and this is you specifically, Barry, like um, if you get a chance to listen to it, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it because it's, it's such a interesting medium, but it's also like, it's all the things I think we try to talk about mm-hmm. like offline and online um, in a conversation like this. It's like the stuff that we like about the Marvel cinematic universe, stuff I don't like, uh, like avoiding the stuff that I, I don't like about the Marvel cinematic universe, but also like, how do we make pulp? Um, how do we make Pope something that someone? Yes, I got it on. Here. I got it on here. I just I haven't listened to it yet, but I do. I have downloaded it. So <laughs> I appreciate you, sir. Uh, like it, it's it's it does all these different things, and you know, like there are some episodes that are stronger than others. That's true of everything. Um, but uh, yeah, and I'm being verbose because the reason we're here to talk is about Batman. Yes, and uh, so that's per- uh, in fact this has actually been. A funny coincidental thing happened because I got you coming on to talk about, and you're like, okay, well, you know, let's talk about Batman Master of the Phantasm. And then um, last episode, we had Stacey Deuce come on. He's like, I want to talk about Batman Soul of the Dragon. And the next episode, we've got uh, Damon Thompson, who's like, oh, I want to talk about, you know, Batman Beyond Return of the Joker. So we've got a triple Ooh, feature Batman. Yeah. Just coincidentally, it all seemed to come oh, man, together. Return like of the Joker is great. That's a good one. So, I'm almost um, regretting not talking about it, but at the same time, Mask of the Phantasm is amazing. Well, he's he booked that one. He he asked requested that one months in advance, so you would have been <laughs> you would have been so well with that. So anyway. fair, fair. Um, but anyway, Mask of the Phantasm, like yeah, this for my money, like Dark Knight is amazing and all that, but um, as far as I'm concerned, this is the greatest Batman movie ever made. I, I, it, it's, it's, I can't debate you on that. <laughs> you know, um, I just, I literally rewatched it just before we started recording. Like I finished it a minute before we started, uh, we started the zoom call. Um, it's, it is so efficient in its mm-hmm. storytelling. There's absolutely no meat, uh, no fat on this story. It's all meat. It's lean. It's tight. It does it introduces new ideas into the Batman canon. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, it's it's up there, dude. I really can't fight you on this one. Yeah, I mean, this is, and this is a movie, like Derek and I would always kind of talk about this in the abstract because he also agreed this was like the, the best Batman movie ever made. And, and you had mentioned that, and I had actually just bought it recently because I was back in the States, had a bunch of hitting up DVD shops and found this there like you know on sale for like three bucks at a used dvd store and i'm like how am i not gonna buy this and it's kind of surprising because i didn't realize that i did not own it i i owned it back on vhs way back in the day but i never picked up the dvd for whatever reason and and you know rewatch and as soon as i got home like that was like the first thing i watched was this movie and you know rewatching again after it had to have been like at least 10 years since the last time i saw it every time i watch it i'm i'm blown away again by by how good it is 
it's you know i had that sort of that same reaction uh watching it today where it's like it just dives right in Mm -hmm. um and that is you know something that i've really missed in a lot of the superhero content that we get today um you know there's all this world building all this like a larger cinematic universe like all these different things they have to sort of like there's all these different things they have to do to Uh sort of like justify this thing's existence um you know even like dark knight which is again which is great it's there's a a bit of fat on that like Uh you know and it's a very lean movie but like this movie mass of the phantasm you jump in and batman's batman he's doing a batman thing and then like two minutes in the villain shows up yeah and it's like and and you understand exactly what's going on you understand that like this person looks like they think it's batman he's that he's killing somebody and you understand within the first maybe five minutes uh what the story is about Mm -hmm. like you understand who the antagonist is you understand uh what that means for batman uh you understand what that means for like gotham as a whole um and then like when they start adding the love story to it um and the use of flashbacks is just it's brilliant i mean yeah. it's it, it, it's it is suck it's even setting aside it being a great batman movie it's just a really effective and efficient story mm-hmm. um and it's yeah it, i i miss stories like that it's also like it's under like it's an hour and like 13 minutes it, yeah Man. it's 80 minutes yeah yeah it's 80 um, minutes and that's something that I've come to appreciate about the, because a lot of it is, um, I understand at least a lot of the later movies that they they intentionally force them into that short time frame because the idea was yeah. when a lot of these stu- this stuff would be airing on Cartoon Network, they'd be they'd split it up into like you know right. into like a, so it had to be split up into these parts to fit into the the whatever the time block it was. And I'm not sure what if that was also the case with this or or when they had all if they had also had that same thing in mind, but it does have that same very short runtime. And it just, you know, it just moves really quickly. And they they tell there's a lot of story in, in 80 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. The, I mean, like the whole love story between him and uh Andrea. Andrea yeah. Uh, um the idea like the, the re- revelation, non-revelation of who the Joker is. Mm-hmm. Um the you know just the main thrust of the phantasm um there's a lot there's like at least three three plot stories that all that all converge in the end mm-hmm. and just oh god it's just if it, like i'm gonna repeat myself it's so efficient storytelling it's mm-hmm. just man <laughs> like, not like not a wasted moment no, I'm not sure. Did you watch this back in the day when you were a kid? Because I remember I saw it in theaters. Yeah, I can't remember if I saw it in the theaters or not, but I do remember seeing the videotape at like you know a a drugstore, I think of all places, and just yeah. being like, I got to buy this. And because um, I loved the animated series, like that was like mm-hmm. back when it first came out, it was it was a daily show, so it's like every day right. I come home from school, yeah. I was right in front of the TV watching Batman. Um, Such a great series. And this this series, this like I'd seen 89 Batman, but I think this series really I'd seen 89 Batman. This came out, I think, after Batman Returns, if I'm remembering correctly. I think um, so, yeah. So yeah, I'd seen Batman, Batman Returns, and then I became and it was really this series that really kind of cemented that Batman love for me. Um, if mm. not for that, I think 
you know, like all kids, you know, you see something, you get obsessed with it for like three months and then you move on to something else. I think if yeah. not for this series, I probably would not have been as in love with Batman as I am today. Uh, yeah, because I think it's a, just the series and in this movie just understood Batman mm. and and made it a, him and his universe accessible to all ages. Mm. And I mean, that's and I feel like today the, the term all ages gets a little um, uh, poo pooed upon in mm. some ways, because I think a lot of people think like all ages means like, well, it's intended for children. Yeah. Um, but I think you know, this series exemplifies like how you can tell a story that's really good for kids, but also has these darker and more nuanced themes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and like, I remember this movie seeing like, oh my God, he's bleeding. That's something they couldn't do in, uh, on TV, but they could do in the theater. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, it's, yeah, it, I think it's, it's also the style, the style of the show and the, and the uh, movie itself is so unique. This idea that it's set in the modern day, but it has like a 50s, 40s mm-hmm. feel um, was a really good choice. I think well, right down to about... even World's Fair still happen. <laughs> yeah. As, as a kid, you didn't notice that. But as an adult, we watch this and like a World's Fair. And when was the last time we had one of those? Yeah. Um, it's just like everything about it. I think this, you know, there's a lot of Batman, a lot of superhero stories that don't always, especially when it comes to like an adaptation, Mm -hmm. uh, like, like a Batman, the animated series, uh, that don't really hold up the more you revisit them. Mm -hmm. And part of that is because of when the eras they're set. You know, there's a lot, there have been a lot of Batman uh, TV shows since the animated series, mm-hmm. but we don't talk about them the same way that we talk about the anime, about right. the Mask of the Phantasm in the animated series. And part of that is the the way it they decided to have a timelessness to it. Mm-hmm. The fact that like you can't pin down when it takes place. It's it's always today. It's mm-hmm. always, because it's always yesterday. Um, whereas... I think a lot of like um, there's like that CGI animated one. Um, oh yeah, Beware uh, the Bra- Batman. Right, Beware the Batman, and there was a, a few other ones that felt very like of the era. That felt like the '90s and early mm-hmm. 2000s. Um, they spoke to that specific audience, um, whereas Batman the animated series was like, what is Batman? Mm-hmm. Like, what do we? How do we boil this down? How do we distill it? And make it true for everybody who's watching it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I, it's there's a reason why we keep on going back to it because it's always, always, always going to be today. It's always going to be the thing that we're watching right now. It, it never feels out of place in time. Yeah. In a way that I, I think, you know, even the Dark Knight is going as much as we love it. It's going to eventually be because mm-hmm. it's of a very specific time. I'm really kind of curious to see what uh, Matt Reeves Batman is going to be like, because it looks like very modern, but also not. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, how is that going to hold up? I think Batman 89, uh, the nostalgia that we have around it, uh, part of the reason why it, that, that version of Batman mm-hmm. and 89 and returns holds up is because Burton to his credit was like, let me just set this in Gotham. 
Mm-hmm. It's just Gotham. It's not, it's not today. It's not yesterday. It is Gotham city. Mm-hmm. Whereas you have, you know, Batman begins and Bat- that the dark Knight trilogy is always going to be set very modern. Um, yeah. Yeah. And the less said about the Snyderverse, the better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, you, talking about the dark Knight, that's one of the things that kind of struck me is rewatched. You know, first time I watched it, I was blown away, but yeah. On subsequent viewings, like I can't remember the last time I saw it, but the last time, but whenever the last time I saw it was probably like last year or two years ago, it felt a lot slower than I remember. Yeah. And it just, it, I think a lot of it was just like the novelty of Heath Ledger's Joker and all that. Mm-hmm. And, and seeing all that at the time that that kind of novelty is gone now. And so, yeah, it, it doesn't have the same, the same shine it used to have. Um, whereas, and I think going back to what you said about the timeless thing, and since I've been doing art, I'm paying a lot more attention to this stuff. And yeah, I mean, one of the genius things about what Bruce Tim and, and his team did was not only like the, the aesthetics, right? So it's got like these, these 1940s, you know, buildings and like the art deco type of stuff mixed with like more modern cars and modern technology, but just the character designs too. It's just mm-hmm. like, they've got a very, and like you were talking about the, you know, like the, the Batman, those, those Jeff Matsuda designs, which are, you know, amazing. Don't get me wrong, but it's very much of that time period. Like you were saying, it's very much that kind of art aesthetic that was being done in a lot of animated series, like the Jackie yeah. Chan adventures and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, or the, like you said, the beware the Batman with the CGI influences, whereas Bruce Tim's style, it's very much influenced. It's got that classic influence in it, right? So it's yeah. got, he's very much influenced by the, um, the Max Flesher Superman serials or by, or by Jack Kirby. And so you've got that very timeless kind of feel mixed with this. And, but the, it's so smooth, right? That's yeah. one of the things that strikes me rewatching the animated series compared to say X-Men or, or Spider-Man is like the animation in those shows as much as I loved them at the time, it's just the animation yeah. was very, very clunky. Whereas this, it's just, it flows just as smooth today as it did back then. And like, there's yeah. no, when you watch Batman the Animated Series, you're not watching it because of nostalgia. Like you could give this, if you give X-Men to someone now, they'd probably be looking at you, really, this? Because right. a lot of it is, you know, it was a groundbreaking at the time, but now it doesn't really hold up because it, it's mostly that nostalgia factor that keeps us yeah. attached to it. You can give Batman the Animated Series or Mask of the Phantasm to, to someone today and they would not have a problem. They would not have, they would be totally into it. Yeah. And again, it's like to, the style of it is the reason why it's so smooth is that they probably spent less time mm-hmm. having to draw the characters you look at something like x-men um there's a lot of detail in the way those characters are drawn um that was kind of the style of time you look at shows like exo squad or even like mighty max shows that i watch pretty on the regular Mm -hmm. like they had a lot more detail in the characters um so they weren't always stiff but it's a very um it's a very of the era look Mm -hmm. but with you know um with batman like because it's all like lines it's all Mm. like squares and uh like it's very boiled down again that the idea of boiling things down is whenever i think of batman the animated series i think of boiling down i think Mm -hmm. it's like bruce tim alan burnett paul dini everyone involved that show was like how do we strip this back 
in every single way. So we just get right to the core of it. Mm -hmm. And, and they use those shapes to uh, like, what does Batman, what's the shape of Batman? What's Mm -hmm. the shape of the Joker? What's the shape of the penguin? Um, So that makes the animation smoother because they're just able to like, all right, yes, here's this shape. Um, But then boils down to this you know how those characters are portrayed uh in the writing and in Mm -hmm. uh the world building um yeah i i really like that is something i think that marvel does very well is that then i'm just like how you like in terms of the way those characters are written like how do you boil down the Mm -hmm. essence of these characters you know i think uh they succeed to varying degrees but like the reason why the captain america uh series is really well and the reason why spider-man did really well because they're like what is the what is the like pure essence Mm -hmm. of these characters um and i think that all really began uh with the batman the animated series yeah and i'm not sure if this is intentional or not but i think also i think it's maybe it was intentional maybe not but one of the things that has also started happening in the years since batman the animated series which causes the the older animation like you were talking about to feel have that clunkier because it's much more detailed yeah. is a lot of stuff that you know kids watch nowadays or even people who were in their 20s w- grew up watching was anime which yeah. also has that much more stripped down much more fluid style right. and so it makes me wonder like i'm not sure if it was intentional or not but there's a definite anime-like influence to batman the animated series in that in that kind of stripped down design I mean, I don't know if that I, I think that's there are similarities. I'm not necessarily sure if it's like a one for one. Yeah. Um, yeah. but yeah, but I, but I do see what you're saying. But yeah, the same type of quality, basically. Yeah. And I yeah. think that's one of the that's also helped it set set up stand apart as well as that stripped down quality. Um what do you think of uh Andrea Beaumont in this? Because she was an original character, you know, Andrea yep. Beaumont becomes the phantasm. She was originally original just created for this, didn't appear really again except for in a non-speaking part in an episode of justice league yeah, um, this is league Unlimited. Yeah, um, yeah but other than that she like never appears again um i think she appeared in some of the comics but that, that a, was about it yeah what a great use of uh, restraint on that one um because i i was thinking that like we've only meet her in this um this new character that is like supposed to be the love of bruce wayne's life that we never heard from before mm-hmm. um it is a great retcon. It the way they retcon that character into the Bruce Wayne canon um, is so seamless because mm-hmm. it is very much like they give you all the reasons why you've never heard of this character before, and they tie it directly into his origin and his choice to become Batman. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that like even with the way that like you first meet Bruce Wayne in the Mask of the Phantasm surrounded by women and you understand the current status quo of who bruce wayne is Mm -hmm. then you see andrea and like understand like oh he he had his heart broken Mm -hmm. and that's why partially he is not willing to ever commit to any other woman but beyond that it also it's like that heartbreak also led him becoming batman you know it, it is I'm going to say again, it's so efficient. Mm. Everything about this, it's like this character shows up. She is a huge new character that has a huge impact on uh, Bruce Wayne's life. Um, but every time you see her, you understand like, okay, this is why. This is, mm-hmm. he was going to be like, he was coming down this path. He almost became Batman, did not become Batman. Mm-hmm. But the reason he didn't 
uh, he did is because he lost love the yeah. one love of his life um it's and then like the fact that you don't ever really see her again except for that one non-speaking mm-hmm. role in the justice league unlimited uh what was supposed to be the justice league unlimited season series finale um is such a good and i i said this just now like such restraint like i mm-hmm. think if there's one thing there's a lot of things that i have um that i find i can complain about with the current state of superhero uh media mm-hmm. uh but one thing that i find really frustrating is that like stop bringing characters back like you don't not every character needs to come back mm-hmm. um you know sometimes that story is told yeah um and i think there's so much credit to the creators of the batman the animated series like we told the fat the mask of the phantasm story and then the mm-hmm. one time you bring her back is something that speaks to the origin of mm-hmm. batman because that that is her role in this universe yeah she is tied directly into the role of the origin of batman so when she comes in to sort of help create the new batman in batman beyond and saying like no this is not what this is not what batman would ever do this mm-hmm. is not who what bruce wayne would ever do um it, it's a great parallel it balances like it's like the you, you see her like that echo in there it's you don't like have her coming back as like the recurring like love interest like on again off again Mm -hmm. just god it's so efficient and it's it's not just like because i think some people watching that episode on surface view like they might think um oh you know they're just bringing back the phantasm just because they needed some character to bring in who also but there's like you've mentioned there it's got that deeper connection to bruce's origin that that works so much better on a on that extra level um so there's it works on that one level like oh phantasm i remember her and then that other level it also works on um and it's and the the mystery you know going back and rewatching this the mystery is actually really well done here because they do a Mm -hmm. really good job of making you believe that it's her father the entire time um and then they pull the bait and switch at the end when you find out it's actually her. But then you go back and you rewatch it and you're like, oh, I see. Uh, all the pieces are here. Yeah. And also like the fact that like they have the Joker tied into her origin mm-hmm. um, is, again, it's one of those things I think in less adept hands would have felt forced. Mm-hmm. But the way the Joker enters the story the way they dole out the information in her story, it makes that revelation work. Mm-hmm. You're just like, yeah, of course. And it it's, gives them a shared villain, uh, the Phantasm and mm-hmm. uh, Batman. Um, yeah, I, I it's, man, just, <laughs> no, it's, it's just, it, and again, I, I said it before, it's just so, such good writing. It's, mm-hmm. It is insanely good. And I, I and what breaks my heart is like, I just, I can't think of another superhero film or superhero anything that like is as tight as this mm-hmm. script. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one of the things that always throws me off though when I'm watching this movie is I so associate Dana Delaney with Lois Lane <laughs> like if i'm yeah. ever looking away from the screen and i hear her voice i'm like 
Lois Lane's in this movie? Like every time it happened to me like huh. so many times watching this movie. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. I was trying to remember where like, I'm like, why do I know that recognize this voice? And I beyond like this movie. That's a good point. I, I completely forgot about that. <laughs> so that, that's just something that jumps out to me. Um, I've got a, I've got a bit of a love hate relationship with the Joker's presence in this movie. Because as okay. much fun as he is, as great as Mark Hamill always is as the Joker. Mm. And that, that fight scene in, in the world's fair, the world of tomorrow thing is, is so good. Um, as much as I love all that stuff, it, there's just, I really don't like knowing anything about the Joker's origin. And I, yeah, and I think that, that kind of, that takes me out of it a little bit is the fact that, well, obviously some people do know who the Joker is because, you know, Sal knows to go to him for help because he's the guy who used to, used to work with back in the day and you know andrea knows who he is and i that's something that always sticks me because i i've always of the belief that we should know nothing about the joker he should be a total mm. enigma because the joker can literally be anybody that that's that's a good point and i was thinking about that today i think the biggest difference um like the reason why i'm less um hard on it is that mm -hmm. i like the idea that like we know more about him but we mm -hmm. don't know everything about him it's like yeah. we know that he was an assassin uh for the the mob mm -hmm. or some like an enforcer for the mob which totally makes sense mm -hmm. he has like some standing relationship with these people before um but it's we don't know his name mm -hmm. we don't you know, we don't. I don't think we, we ever see his origin in the animated series, do we? I can't remember. I don't think so. I don't believe we do. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's still more mystery there. Mm -hmm. Like it's it's an answer without an answer. Um, I'm trying to think of a, of another good example. Um, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but it's like, yeah, like oh wow, he's he had a darker past. He was like already mm -hmm. a killer beforehand. And that's all you really, really know about. Yeah. Him. I, I yeah. mean, I, I totally understand your criticism because it's a complete, it's totally valid. Mm -hmm. um, uh, because I do generally agree that like, I can appreciate the Joaquin Phoenix Joker mm -hmm. uh, in a lot of ways, but also it's like the fact that we know so much about him in that movie yeah. undermines the horror oh, of the yeah. Joker. Yeah exactly uh same thing with 89 batman the fact that we see jack nicholson as jack napier beforehand it really kind of right. undermines that because you see jack, like, like that's like the same problem with the shining right you, you see jack yeah. nicholson and you're just waiting for him to go insane because he's jack nicholson right yeah i, I yeah it, it's that's the best thing of like with um heath leathers heath ledger's joker is that mm -hmm. like it doesn't matter it's like he's just this monster that shows up um and there's that is so much more terrifying yeah um you know and it's weird because like i think like even with the what's always interesting about the joker in the animated series is harley quinn and mm -hmm. obviously she's not in this movie yeah um which is always i've always thought was kind of her voices though in, <laughs> yes yes it, <laughs> i yeah. did pick up on that I, um miss bambi yeah dancing on the um, piano but it's like it's weird with the um with you know ha, ha, the joker having some kind of relationship mm -hmm. it's so it's you know i was thinking about this a lot because i've i have a lot of issues with the dceu um it's i've i found it more interesting as of late uh mm -hmm. things like films like Su the suicide squad and peacemaker and oh yeah um and even like harley quinn um 
Birds of Prey. Yeah, despite um, what they did to Cassandra Cain in that. That was yeah. my, that was my biggest um, objection to that. That's fair. Fair. Yeah. Um, I think with um what's always interesting is like those care like Harley Quinn's almost more interesting after being in the with the Joker than she was with the Joker. Oh, so with much. the yeah, and with yeah. the exception being like her in like when she's first introduced in the Batman the animated series, like that's the exception that proves the rule. Mm-hmm. Like the more we see of Harley Quinn and the Joker together, the less interesting it is. Um but the more we see of her after the Joker, the more mm. like the more interesting she becomes. Yeah, and I think that's I'm glad that's something that the the comics and now the movies have have taken notice of is that she's she's much more interesting with the Joker in her past as opposed to yeah. being because otherwise just her as the Joker's gal Friday it it just it the gag gets old after a while. Yeah, and, and I think with the go on. No, and just like, and the whole abusive subtext after a while, it just gets yeah. kind of like, we don't really need another reason to hate the Joker. Like when, I remember when um, speculation about, this is back, you know, going back years, I'm not sure if the speculation is still going on, but that he had, I remember at one point there was speculation that in the killing joke, he had raped Barbara Gordon or that he had molested Jason Todd before he blew him. Right. And, and it's like, you don't need that. Yeah. I actually, I had something like that. Um, I remember my, I had in my own writing with the llama, there was a story I was going to, a scene I was going to write in Crimson Circle, where it was going to be revealed that one of the villains molested one of the, uh, one of the female characters. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, I'll make him like, it was one of those very male writer things. Mm -hmm. That'll show how bad he is. And it was like, no, it's like, that's, it was one, it was like, no, this is one step too far. Yeah. It was like, we know the guy's bad. Like, do I need to undermine a female character's, um, you know, agency, agency just to show like this guy is a bad guy. Mm-hmm. I can show this guy is a bad guy in other ways. And yeah. I'm, I, it's one of my, it is definitely one of those moments of like, and I'm sure you've had moments like this as well as a writer. Like, you're like, I'm really glad I did not go down that yeah. road. Like yeah. I pulled back on that. Um, yeah. And, it, to, and so to your point, like, with the Joker, it's like, do we really need to see him rape Barbara Gordon mm-hmm. to know he's terrible? Like, no, nah, we yeah. know he's terrible. Um, why, why uh, destroy a, a, the, another character to do that? Like a, a beloved mm-hmm. character to to do that. So especially after she was destroyed to make him look bad in the first place, there's no exactly, reason to like exactly throw more dirt on on her after that. Yeah, it's like he like yeah like they showed like in the original Killing Joke like he takes like not naked photos but like he definitely like mm. takes her clothing off and it's like yeah that's bad enough that's bad yeah. enough you yeah. don't need to do any more than that mm-hmm. um i think that was like one of the what was it the uh doctor light in oh identity yeah crisis. identity crisis yeah that's yeah. just it was just and it's like excess for the sake of excess yeah it's like i get it and like it, it definitely pushes the envelope to a degree but it's like did you really need to like rape a character mm. to make a bad guy seem bad like yeah it, it, and i think it's like this it's so reductive it's mm. just yeah and uh, so... yeah and so that's that's kind of a tangent from what we we're talking about here but yes it was but, <laughs> but it was it's a interesting discussion nonetheless um another thing i really like about this movie is uh alfred's role in this and because mm-hmm. i think the the live action movies 
I don't think they've really quite captured just how important Alfred is to Bruce. Yeah. Um, I think they get close in some points, like, you know, yeah. like Michael Guff has that really great line in the first Batman movie when, you know, when he says, you know, he's like, you know, I've no desire to spend my few remaining years grieving for the loss of old friends or their sons. And, hmm. and then, um, and, you know, Michael Caine in, uh, in the, in the Nolan films as well, does a really great job, but I, I never get the sense really that Bruce is dependent on Alfred, not because he's the butler, but but because of his moral center, not as much as I am in this movie. Like that mm-hmm. that speech he gives to Bruce at the end about the abyss. Yeah. And you realize like the reason why Bruce hasn't fallen into that abyss is because of Alfred. Yeah. No, it's also like there's that one line of like, I cleaned your bum bottom or something like yeah. that. It's just like a, yeah. <laughs> Um, no, and that's, that's a good point. Like, I, I really had not really considered that. It's just like, um, and it's something they explore in the animated series in general, mm-hmm. like this um, this surrogate family that he builds. And yeah. I think that's like, the best way to always think about Alfred is that he is, he is essentially Bruce Wayne's father. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I feel like he's he's too many times shown as like the... Um, as just the butler, the 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 maid, the maid servant essentially, mm-hmm. but when he really is just like he is the one to your point who's like holding him back from the abyss. Yeah. Yeah. Makes me all the more disappointed. As much as I like Tom King's run, I, I was did not want him to kill Alfred. Yeah, I, I I'm way behind on comics. Okay. So I just I just found out that the butler that he oh. that Alfred's dead. <laughs> Sorry, spoiler for a story that came out like three years ago. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. How dare you? How dare you spoil a thing I'm, I'm probably not going to read. <laughs> um, uh, one other thing I noticed that was kind of weird watching this movie is that Batman technically never gets cleared of the murders. Yeah. I mean, it's just That's like, cool. it's because yeah. the, you know, because Andrea just disappears and mm-hmm. the Joker, you know, also, you know, seemingly dies, just like he seemingly dies in almost every episode of the series. Yeah. Uh, and then, and that's it. You never, there's no evidence whatsoever that Batman is not connected to these murders. And it's just like, it just goes, everybody just forgets about it. I, you know, and that's, you know, that's a funny point that you bring up because I, I definitely think about that a lot where it's like, um, when you're writing a story and like how much, information you actually need to give Mm -hmm. like what is what actually matters for this story um and i think today especially with the like nitpicking that Mm -hmm. we used to do over like a comic book store which is now just like an entire industry on youtube Mm -hmm. um i i think that like like well why didn't like he's not clear like that's a plot hole it's not a plot no it's not a plot hole yeah (laughs) yeah it's just like it doesn't matter Mm -hmm. it's not that's like um and I, I, I definitely, um, I could imagine, and I have mm. no proof of this, like there was probably a version of the story where like he gets cleared, like mm-hmm. there's a scene that wraps it all up. Um, but I think to, you know, everyone's credit, like there's like, it doesn't matter. It's yeah. secondary to the story. Because um, at this point, like really, like he'll never be cleared of anything. He'll always mm-hmm. be on the outside of the law. Um, so even if that's the status quo where he's accused of these murders, um, that's fine mm-hmm. because that means that he's just 
always accused of these murders. And mm-hmm. that's just a thing, a, a black mark against Batman. We know as the audience that he is innocent, but the well, the world doesn't. Um, it yeah, makes me I realize think, uh, Nolan ripped off the ending of The Dark Knight from this movie then. Uh, you could, you, you could, <laughs> one could argue, but I, that would also uh, postulate that Nolan watched this. That's true. Um, <laughs> Um, no, but I think that's a, that's that is a, a, a different kind of conversation. Mm. I think with um, you know, I think a lot of audiences today, especially over the last like fifteen years, that really want everything tied up in a little bow mm-hmm. at the end, um, partially because of YouTube, because of like social media, and partially because like we've had so many things answered in mm-hmm. other media. Right. Uh, to like, you know, I, I talk about Star Wars a lot. If you follow me on Twitter, I talk about Star Wars probably way too much. Um, but like a lot of the things that we didn't really were never answered in the movies are all answered now because mm-hmm. of the comics, because of uh, the West End gaming system, because of the books, mm-hmm. um, where really, you know, all like the Death Star got blown up and that mm-hmm. was it. That's yeah. all you need to know. How did the force work? It just does. And I I, I do more movies like uh, The Mask of the Phantasm where it's just mm-hmm. like, is he cleared? Doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter the story. It is like, what matters is to the story was that he was accused of a crime. It caused problems for Batman. Mm-hmm. Um, if he gets cleared, maybe that's great. Uh, but the 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 thing that matters is his relationship to Andrea um, and um, him stopping the phantasm. That is the core narrative. Everything else is secondary. I think one of the things that is, that probably throws people off and is probably affecting me a little bit rewatching this is that um, nowadays we think of everything being connected, right? So you've got the, you've got, the MCU is a perfect example. You got the movies and then you've got the TV shows and then you're connecting them in some way. So everything feeds into something else. Whereas even though this was a movie with the same creative team that was behind the TV show, I don't think they were necessarily making this movie to be in the same continuity as the TV show. It was more like like an original graphic novel like they used to have back Mm -hmm. in the days where like, you know, um, uh, was it the... Batman, I think it was Son of the Demon or whatever, right. where he, he gets in the relationship with Talia and all that. And that was originally supposed to be an out of continuity story. It's just a tale really? that that exists just of Batman or using a more modern example, All-Star Superman, right? It's right. a Superman story, but it's not really set in any sort of continuity. And all I right. think that was originally kind of their intent with this was it's a Batman, the animated series movie that's not really in the same world as the actual TV show. It's just this story that exists and a lot of the elements are the same, but it's not necessarily part of the same continuity. Yeah. I mean, they probably got it. They might've said like, you know, like, does it, the, the Joker died at the end. Mm-hmm. Like we see it's like, well, he survived. Like, yeah. And, and, and to your, not just like the whole point of being connected. Um, I do think there is this, it, and I guess it is sort of to your point of being connected. Like, there's this expectation that everything builds upon what's come before. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, where the you know an older school of thought was like, you know, 
this is the story we're telling right now. Mm-hmm. This is like, you know, the next story will bring back the Joker. How does he survive? Doesn't matter. He survives mm-hmm. somehow. You know, like we show that she survived. So he survived somehow as well. Mm-hmm. It, like it, it's, it was very much this like, um, like looking at this one story by itself, what's true for this story. Yeah. If there's anything we need to like paper over later, we can paper over mm-hmm. it later. Um, I think, you know, I, I've had this, um, you know, it's a mantra that I've not really, you know, I don't have like written down or anything, but like, I've, this is sort of my approach to story. It's like story needs are more important than Canon concerns. Mm-hmm. Like you could, you could, paper over any like mistake in canon Mm -hmm. in some way shape or form you know whether you go to the extreme of having superboy punch a wall Mm -hmm. or you can have um you know like oh well this story takes place beforehand oh or we just thought this thing happened off screen you can find ways of like paper overing things like a good example of something that i've done uh in the novels my own mistake because i didn't read i could not find all the original pulps at the time when I first started writing. Um, it's established that Ken Clayton leaves for, um, he's a Green Llama associate and he leaves to go join the military mm-hmm. towards the end. He, he gets written off. But then I'm having stories that he's taking place after the, the story that he left. Right. How do I solve that? And what I did was, uh, oh yeah, he left to go live, uh, spend time with his partner his mm-hmm. uh you know and he's like it was a big secret it's because he, he's a gay man living like uh he, he can't be out so like oh he went to go join the military had he come back he got you know uh honorably discharged mm-hmm. or something you just you, you find ways around it yeah you yeah just, like because the story i think the story matters more than anything and i mean like marvel does it like to a lot mm-hmm. of ways like they'll uh you know the infinity gauntlet like fake um you know mm-hmm there's ways you can do it. And I think, um, I think to their credit, like, again, they just focused on what was in front of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And I think you make a good point too. Whereas um, as much as I love the, the shared continuity stuff and the MCU and all that, there is something to be said for having these standalone stories that don't have to build up to anything more. Like, yeah. And you're right. That is kind of a, that is kind of a lost art when it comes, at least when it comes to superhero characters. Right. This idea that every superhero story has to be connected to every other superhero story. Um, and that's cool, but it is kind of nice just to have a superhero story that's, that have a Batman story that doesn't have any connection to anything else. Yeah, and that's like why I'm excited about the new uh, Matt Reeves Batman, because mm-hmm. it's like, it's not connected to anything. So far. And it's like, <laughs> we'll see so far. Yeah. <laughs> but, but like, that feels so... Like at least based on from what I understand, it's like it's oh man, isn't that nice? I don't have to like worry about like mm-hmm. how this connects to the DCEU, where it fits in the timeline. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, will this character show up? Won't that character show up? It's like oh, we're getting this version of the Joker. Uh, excuse me, the this version of the Penguin, this version of the Catwoman, this version of the regular uh, the Riddler. Um, and that's still like the one thing that I I find more interesting about like even with like Peacemaker, which is mm-hmm. you know set in the dceu but like it's great that like it's i don't you don't have to have watched suicide squad to appreciate what it's doing it's just no. like this little isolated story i mean i could talk about peacemaker all day it's it's <laughs> goddamn great show oh, i'm man. uh i'm I, four episodes in so far and i'm I'm, yeah. I'm enjoying it so i'm 
not so keen on what they did to vigilante um but and i'm not like some huge vigilante fan or anything like that yeah. but it's just like but i did think that it's a, it feels a little bit too much like they're trying to make their own deadpool um there's a bit of that um this is tangential but so mm. feel free to cut but like they do some I'm not, I, I forget i don't know what happens where you're up to but like they do some stuff with him that's like there's more there okay. i think that's my that's the biggest thing that like um that i've come to really appreciate about the series um in general because he comes in like th the third episode right yeah 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 so yeah i think it's like the fifth episode they do something with him okay Maybe so that's uh, yeah so that, i haven't gotten to the fifth i've only gotten up to the first four so what, what, what what's happened what, what's the last thing that happened the episode that you watched so, um, so before i start spoiling things i think that was the one with uh i think that was the one with the judo master okay yeah so yeah when they when they yeah so there's there's some stuff they do with him that's like oh well, that's really okay it's i think that's the biggest thing with peacemaker it's like it, it is just it's a very interesting treatise against toxic masculinity and mm -hmm. like like alt-right stuff and yeah, like yeah racism and it's like yeah i'm curious to see what you see as you get further into the series yeah yeah i gotta i gotta get back into it um but uh but anyway i think that about does it for mask of the phantasm is there anything else you yeah. wanted to mention about this uh no um you can i'll tell you some stuuff after after okay. we cut i'll tell you, I'll, I'll, we'll talk about that after okay. but no i know i yeah so uh, no, I just, I really like, I admire this movie, I think more uh, with time mm -hmm. um, as I, as my writing career has like gone on and I've, you know, struggled to write things myself and seeing something done. So uh, a film so tightly uh, constructed is just, it is, it is a lost art, sir. Mm -hmm. Very lost. It is yeah. a lost art. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, can't really disagree with any of that. I mean, this it's, I loved it when I was what, like 10, nine, 10 years old when this yeah. came out. I still love it now. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's one of those rare movies that you watch when a kid, when you're a kid and it still holds up when you're an adult. hundred um, percent. Not a lot of movies can do that. No, no, no. I, I watched little monsters the other day. Cause I loved that as a kid. It's, it is a terrible movie. <laughs> it is not good in any way. <laughs> Okay, uh, Adam, so you mentioned the Green Llama, where they could find that, but tell people where they can find you in general. Uh, you can find me uh, at Adam Lance Garcia on Twitter, Instagram, and I even have a TikTok that I uh, is basically DOA, but uh, anything where it says Adam Lance Garcia, you can find me. Okay, great. Well, Adam, thanks so much for, for coming on again. Um, you got to beat uh, Kellen's record, so we'll have to have you come on at least two more times. <laughs> At least two more times. At least two more times, yeah. I'll do three uh, so he has a, more of a struggle. Oh, there we go. Okay, gauntlet's thrown down. All right. <laughs> All right, well, that does it for us. Uh, this is the Superhero Cinephiles. SuperheroCinephiles.com is our website. Go ahead and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and where you get your shows. Uh, thanks, for thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next time. You have been listening to the Superhero Cinephiles podcast. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at SuperCinemaPod. Join our Facebook group by searching for Superhero Cinephiles where you can interact with us and other superhero fans. If you'd like to support the show, you can become a regular supporter at Patreon or make a one-time donation through PayPal, both of which can be found at our website, SuperheroCinephiles.com. If you buy or rent any movies through the Amazon links at our site, it helps support the show. Please be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.
Thank you for listening. And as always, good night, good evening, God bless.